Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord in the church said. I want to speak for just a few moments from the topic. Don't forget your ID. Don't forget your ID. Father, I pray that you would speak with clarity, that you would speak with boldness, that you would be able to translate this word to every voice that's listening. Let this word be practical and let it be life-changing. Let it be actionable. Let us walk out of here with specific actions that bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, family, we are at the official end of the holiday season. You survived Christmas. You're about to survive New Year's Eve. And now it's back to the regular world. Now it's back to the daily grind. It's the end of the holiday season. And, you know, this season is not only known for gift giving and holiday parties. It's also known for travel. How many of you traveled over the course of this, this holiday? Oh, y'all ought to get out more often. <laughs> My goodness, out of about 500 people, only three people traveled or went somewhere or did something. Well, it's an estimated 115 million Americans who took to the skies, who took to the rails and took to the roads and the waterways between December 21st and January 1st, according to AAA. And this is the highest number in 20 years. So according to that statistic, there was more traffic this holiday season than any other year within the past 20 years. And, you know, I personally had the privilege of traveling with my family of four down to Texas, my home state. And my kids now are six and eight. And I used to complain about the fact that they were not under two, because you know when they're under two, you don't have to pay for their ticket. But then I remember what it was like having two small toddlers car seats for both of them, strollers for both of them, layovers, and cross-country trips, and I just gave thanks for the fact that they could carry their own bags <laughs> on this trip. Now, I must confess, and I don't even know if my wife realizes this, but I've developed a habit of staring at the scale when we're checking our bags. And the reason why is because I had a traumatic experience earlier in my life. Way back in the day, I was a freshman in college. I just mentioned that I'm from Texas, and um, I ended up in Connecticut because I went to college in Connecticut. And I must admit that my freshman year was by far my worst year in school. Um, it was just dramatic and issues and um, poor grades and lack of productivity on the basketball court. So I couldn't wait till my freshman year was over. So much so that when we got to the final semester and we got to that final week, you know, that week after you've completed all your finals, that week after all the classes have died down and you're just on campus, I could not wait to pack my stuff up and go home for the summer. I remember staying up all night long 
trying to deconstruct my room, this room that had been messy for all of both semesters. I had it in my mind that I was going to deconstruct that room, pack it up, store all my boxes, and pack what I needed for my trip. I was up all night long packing, getting stuff tucked away. I remember waking up early in the morning. Back in the day, we had to take the shuttle to get to the airport. Anybody remember Connecticut limo? Had to get on that Connecticut limo, get that one-hour trip to Bradley International Airport. Had all my luggage in the back of that van, dragged it to the counter, presented my ID, and then they asked me the question, how many bags do you want checked? So I counted one, two, three, four, five. That was my first mistake. Because, you know, at least back in the day, you could, you could check two as a compliment, but then everything else was extra. But I didn't know that. And then my second mistake was when I put the first bag up on the scale, and I told you I was up all night packing and packing and stuffing as much stuff as I could. And you should have seen the look on my face when the man said, okay, um, this bag is overweight. And I looked over at the digital scale, and it said 56 pounds, and the limit was 50. So now I had another issue. So if you can imagine me with my tall self, standing at the counter with five bags, a couple of them too big, and now you know what you got to do. You got to take the big bag and then find the smaller bags and take all of your stuff, all your personables, out of the bag to try to move stuff over here, musical bags. One thing from here to there to here to there, and then putting it back on the scale, nope, you need two more pounds, and then trying to figure all this stuff out. So I think by the time all that was done, my fees came up to be about $450. Yeah, I said the same thing. <laughs> Nudge your neighbors, say, thank God for dad. And thank God for debit cards over the phone. Because I never would have made it. <laughs> never would have made it without you, Pops. So here's the moral of the story. Too much baggage can be a problem. Personally, too much baggage can be cumbersome when you're trying to get through the gate. You ever had that feeling? I mean, you got your rolly bag, you got your duffel bag, you got your... Your, your backpack, and, you, and you're trying to manage all of it on your own. It can be stressful when you overpack. You've got too much stuff. It can be expensive, as we just saw. But the other issue is that it creates issues for everybody else on the flight, because if everybody's bag is overweight, then now you have, um, you have over, um, overdone the adherence to you know, different weight limits and balance limits for the aircraft. And unfortunately, there have been times in history where particularly small planes were overloaded with luggage, so much so that it caused accidents and it caused planes to fall from the sky. And it was all because they did not pay attention to the excess baggage and, and the overweightness of what was on the plane. So, of course, there is a natural application to this. And then there is a spiritual application. Here it is. God is trying to take us somewhere in 2020, okay? And, and tonight's service is your final check-in before you board 2020, okay? However, the Holy Spirit wants to check your baggage, 
and make sure that you have a safe flight into this next decade. But you've got to be willing to examine what you're carrying and be willing to let go of that which will not be helpful for you in this next season of your life, which brings us to the focal passage for tonight. Ephesians chapter 12, verse 1, the writer says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, that cloud of witnesses, when you read Hebrews chapter 11, that's where we get the Hall of Famers of the faith. You see this long list of biblical heroes, people who overcome and overcame all types of obstacles, still believing God, still holding on to the promises that God had for them, but they endured all types of stuff but they believed God all the way through the very end. So Hebrews 11 lays out this hall of famer of faith, all of these people that we read in scripture who trusted God by faith. And then we get to chapter 12, verse one, which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the writer is giving us a sports picture. In those times, the Olympics was a really big deal. And so the illustration that the writer is giving us is almost like this Olympic runner, this track runner that's in a foot race. And the goal of a track athlete is to run as fast and efficiently as they can in order to reach the finish line. And you'll notice that whenever you watch the Olympics, that track athletes wear um, state-of-the-art body suits nowadays that minimize resistance. Those suits are designed to be aerodynamic all the way down to the type of material because track runners understand that the more weight they carry on their body, the more it slows them down and hinders them from being able to achieve their personal best. You've never seen a serious track athlete running during the race with the backpack. You've never seen a serious track athlete running during the race with extra luggage and extra baggage because the name of the game is to get as, as, as swift and as efficient as you can so that you can run the race as fast and as hard as you can. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand that Christianity is like a track race. And, and I want you to understand this because sometimes we look at Christianity as just coming to church. And we think that because we come to church, because we do the Christian thing, that somehow we are competing in this thing called life. And God is saying, you know what? Your Christianity is more than just showing up and coming to church. This is about a witness. This is about a goal. This is about a calling. This is about a purpose. And, and we have to start thinking as believers like spiritual athletes. You have to start thinking as a believer like someone who is running this race with an intended goal in mind. And ultimately, you want to hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's going to require us to have a shift in the way we think about Christianity. Christianity is not a country club. It's not this um, country club where you come to your church and your tribe of people and your denomination or your pet theology or dogma. And, and this is the place where you join with like-minded people just so you can do your thing and go home and live the rest of your life. No, 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 no. This is about calling. This is about purpose. And we have to have a sense of fitness when it comes to running this life. We have to have a sense of fitness like an athlete that trains. You know, one of my favorite athletes is LeBron James. He just turned 35 yesterday. And, and he has proven to be an athlete that has longevity. 
And part of the reason why he's so good at what he does is because he's disciplined all the way down to his diet and the way that he takes care of his body because he understands that in order for him to have a successful career, he's got to think with a mindset that everything revolving around his basketball career is strategic and purposeful. How is it that we can look at athletes and we can look at entertainers and we can look at musical artists and we see their desire to do their craft well and yet we as believers are so sloppy with our faith? Yet we as believers, we will not sacrifice beyond um, our comfort zone. We will not go the extra mile to learn more. We are complacent with just sitting and, and getting a word rather than getting in the word. We'll sit and we want people to just preach us crazy, just preach us happy. That's why some of y'all came tonight. I need a word from the Lord. I need a word from the Lord. I hope the preacher pulls it tonight. They need to just, 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 just preach my wig off. That's how we think. And then, and, then, and then the preacher straining all type of blood vessels in his neck and the worship leader about to pass out because, come on, bless the Lord. Come on, bless the Lord. Y'all working us to death, and then you won't go home and work. You want us to work the text when God wants you to learn how to work the text. Because somehow along the way, this became about performance and, 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 and watching other people do their thing without realizing that you're a participant as well. And so the writer is trying to help us understand that this, this race is not just for the pastor. This race is not just for the preacher. It's not just for those who are, quote, unquote, called to an office. This is a race for every person in the faith. We must run this race like an athlete with the same intentionality as an Olympic runner. We have to have that same mindset when it comes to this faith. And so the question is, how do we run this race well? Well, the writer indicates that the way that you run the race well is you've got to let go of some stuff. How do we run well? We've got to get rid of some baggage. Now, there are two types of excess baggage we see in this scripture. And there are two types of excess baggage you need to get rid of before 2020. Here's the first type of baggage, sin. The second type of baggage is weights. We must get rid of sins and we must get rid of Rate weights. If we want to run this race called Christianity well in 2020, you've got to be willing to let go of weights and let go of sin. Here's the definition of sin. Sin is a direct violation of God's law by thought, by feeling, by speech, or by action. Sin is when we directly violate God's law by what we think, what we feel, what we say, or what we do. And when we read God's holy scripture, we see that he is a God who has certain standards. He is a God that has certain standards, certain things he says it's okay to do and certain things he says it's not okay to do. And when we do something that he says that's not okay to do, that is called sin. And some people wonder, why is there so much pain in the world? Why are there so many issues? We as Christian believers, we believe it's because there's something called sin. And sin is not just what you do. Sin is a nature that is within you. It is a nature that corrupts and that brings death to every situation that it shows up to. The issue with many of us is that we have sin in our life. And I know in today's culture, we don't like to talk about sin. We like to say we got issues. We like to say that we struggle. And we have so psychological, you know, we just, we just, we just have this psychological um, idea. And now we'll say I'm addicted rather than acknowledging the sin that is leading to our addiction. 
Because we'd rather sit and read books about our problem rather than getting to know the creator who wrote the book that gets to the root of our problem. And we live in a culture that's trying to push Jesus so far to the outskirts and all types of methods and all types of spiritualities are being introduced and being presented as solutions to our issues and to our problems. And we as Christians, we have to learn how to get back to the word of God. We have to learn how to stand once again on Christ because I promise you, if you read this book and begin to know the author of the book, it's one thing just to read the scriptures, but it's another thing to know the author. And that's what I love about Christianity. It's not just about quote unquote religion. It is about relationship. It's about getting to know the author. And when you get to know the author, when you have a relationship with the author, you begin to see his compassion working through the scriptures and they leap off of the page. They become alive. And now you realize that the Holy Spirit lives inside of every single believer. And so now it is a dynamic experience where relationally God is living in you and working through you. And now you have the ability to cope with all the difficulties that you face in life. But it starts by acknowledging certain things. And in this culture... Yes, even in 2020, there has to be a people that acknowledge that sin exists. And guess what? We all got it. That's the other thing I love about Christianity. It's not like we're saying that they have sin and we don't. No, the scripture says a person who says they have no sin is a liar and the truth is not in them. Baby, everybody sins from the pulpit to the pews. Can I share a secret with you? Your great grandmother. Your favorite old school Sunday school teacher. The Pope, even with his big hat. Your pastor, even with his pleather jacket. Everybody sins. And so part of the problem is in church, we kind of, we try to masquerade and parade around like we have no sin. And that's where we lose authenticity. The church must be a place where we are transparent and broken and honest about our brokenness. Therefore, confessing our sins to one another so that we can be healed. But you can't be healed if you won't acknowledge it. And so the body of Christ has to be a people. We have to be a people. And this has to be a sanctuary, a place where we acknowledge the sin that's in our life. Because the first step to making correction is acknowledging that something's not right. So the author says we have to get rid of the sin in our life, but then we also have to get rid of the weights. The definition of a weight is something that interferes with or delays progress. Understood as a large and weighty mass. And here's the thing about weights. Weights are tricky because sometimes weights masquerade as good things. Sometimes weights masquerade as things that are necessary but, but you need to understand that God gives us discernment, and this is an hour to be able to discern good things from God things. There are some people that might be in your life that are actually weights that are hindering you from doing what God has called you to do. There might be some habits that have become comfort habits for you. you. You do these things because they are comfortable to you. They make you feel good, but just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean that it's right. And sometimes the things that make us feel good are the things that are anesthetizing us. They are numbing the pain rather than allowing us to be sober-minded and vigilant and deal with the issues that are in front of us. 2020 is going to be the year where we deal with our issues. 2020 is going to be the year where we no longer try to numb the pain. You can't smoke it away. You can't drink it away. You can't sex it away. You got to look that bad boy directly in his face and say, I'm dealing with you this year. 
I'm dealing with the hurt. I'm dealing with the pain. No longer will I walk around and masquerade as if everything is all right, but I've got to get my surgery scheduled because that's the only way I'm going to get healing. And sometimes it hurts when the doctor is poking and prodding, but the poking and prodding is to diagnose what the issue is because if we find what the issue is and we can do the right thing to get rid of the issue so that you can be healed. And God is saying in this hour, in this moment, we need to call out some of the weights. See, the thing about a weight is that a weight becomes sin when God tells you to let go of it, but you won't let go of it. The weight becomes a sin when God is pulling you in one direction, but yet the weights are pulling you in another direction. Therefore, you can't do what God told you to do because you're still attached to stuff that God is saying let go of. And it's sin for you to not let go of what God said let go of. Sometimes weights are good things that we become too comfortable with. And I serve a God that will push us out of our comfort zone in order to develop our character and to develop our integrity. And I'm here to tell you that if you're going to be successful in 2020, you got to get used to being uncomfortable. You got to be used to uh, um, asking difficult questions of yourself. You've got to get used to being in community with other people who are going to love you, but be honest with you. Because God will send people in your life that help you to see the weights that you're carrying. Because sometimes you can have a weight that's been on you so long, you become used to it. You think it's a part of you when it's really a benign tumor. Because not every growth is a healthy growth. Just because it's growing doesn't mean that it's healthy. And certain things need to be cut off so that you can run with the fitness that God has called you to run with. You need some people in your life to say, that ain't normal. You need some people in your life to say, how long has that been there? You need some people in your life who will see the abnormal things in your life and be able to call them out and say, I love you, but, but we need to deal with that. We need to address that. Weights. Sometimes weights can be a toxic relationship. That can be a weight. Unforgiveness can be a weight. Unforgiveness. The thing about unforgiveness is sometimes it is hidden. Sometimes it's hidden behind a smile. Sometimes it's hidden behind a nice gesture. Sometimes it's hidden behind politeness, but on the inside, you're still fuming and you're still angry and you're still bitter. But the scripture says, get rid of all the bitterness, the rage and anger, brawling and slander. At some point, you have to deal with the poison and the toxin that's within you. And if you do not deal with it, it will kill you and hinder you from doing what God has called you to do. Unforgiveness can be a weight that we carry. Anger. Rage. These are all things that hinder us from flying high in Christ. Now, some of us are frustrated because it seems like every single year we get on the runway. Every single year there's somebody waving some little light stick. I don't know what they call it. Saying, you're clear for takeoff. And every year we're on the runway. This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. <laughs> And you're stuck on the runway. Everybody else is zoom. You look on Instagram, everybody zoom. You don't realize that's just a filter. Because now they got that augmented reality. You think they zoom in. Now you start comparing. And now you're like the man sitting by the pool of Bethesda. Every time it's my turn to get in the water, somebody pushed me out of the way. Nobody helps me. 
And Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? And you talk about what them and they and it, it sounds like you're deflecting. Do you want to be healed? Jesus is standing and saying, do you want to be healed? In order for you to be healed, you have to reverse the narrative and stop talking about them and they and become enamored with he. He is the one that can change my life. He is the one who can transform everything. He is the one who gives me the strength to do what I need to do. So we got to get rid of the sins. Got to get rid of the weights. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Somebody say every weight. You, You ought to have a desire that in this season I'm laying aside every weight. Don't be sneaking some little weight off and keeping it. You know how we do. We, we clean off everything else. We got this one little weight back here. Don't nobody know about that one. But God is saying in this hour, you got to let go of every weight. Every weight. Every weight. Every weight. Because you're going to need every ounce of focus in this season to do what God has called you to do. If you want to get off of that, you get off of that runway, you got to be willing to let go of every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. Another translation says the sin that encumbers us. See, every time we get ready to run on the track, there's something that tangles up our feet. And God is saying in this hour, I want to remove the snares that are hindering you from running this race with all authority and all power. I want you to be able to run with endurance the race that is set before us. God wants us to let go of the excess baggage so that we can run with true endurance. But here is the key to your success. Are you ready for it? Not only must you let go of the sins and the weights, but you got to stay focused on Jesus. Because verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus. See, when I used to run track back in the day, I had my mother who would sit in the stands. My mom was a, was a powerful track athlete in high school. She was the first woman in her town to run under 60 seconds in the 400-meter dash. And I could hear her voice in the stands as I ran around that track. I ran the 800. That's a man's race right there. You ain't got no room to breathe, no room to stop. It's like a sprint twice around the track. And I would hear her saying, stay focused. Run through the finish line. Stretch your legs. And see, I was trained as a track runner that you don't look behind you. You've got to stay focused on what's ahead of you. If you look behind you, you'll lose your time. If you look behind you, you'll trip over your feet. You have to stay focused. And yes, you can hear the sound of your opponent. You can hear their cleats running on the track behind you. But you've got to stay Focus. You got to stay focused on the finish line all the way down to the last second. And in this hour, your secret weapon is Jesus himself. You have to stay focused on Jesus. You have to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Jesus is the preeminent God. He was there at the very beginning and he's there all the way at the end. He's been through everything that we've been through so he can sympathize with us when you keep on reading in the book of Hebrews. He is the high priest and the final sacrifice who can sympathize with us. He's already been through everything that you're going through, so stay focused on him. Why? Because it was the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. That's what he did for us. He had us in mind. He saw a joy beyond the cross, so he suffered. He went through the pain of crucifixion so that we could have our freedom purchased. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
We have this image of the Olympic athlete. After they have competed well, they go and they stand on the victor stand. First place, second place, and third place. And Jesus has run the perfect race. He has overcome death and the grave. And now he stands on the ultimate victor stand. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And guess what my theology teaches me according to Scripture? He is making intercession on your behalf. He is literally praying for us, petitioning for us. He's given us the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So as we're trying to get rid of the weights and the sins, you're not trying to do it by yourself. You have the Holy Scriptures, you have the Holy Community, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And then you have Jesus praying at the right hand of the Father, praying for you. And if we could see our identity, that we now belong to him, when he died on that cross, he purchased our freedom from the enemy. Jesus died so you can be free from the bondage of sin. Jesus died so that you can be redeemed. And the enemy has two modalities, temptation and accusation. Temptation and accusation. He tempts us. The word temptation literally means that he puts out snares and traps for us to trip ourselves in. He sets up baits for us to take because he knows what we want. He knows what we like. He knows what our desires are. And after he trips us up, after he tempts us, then he stands on the other side and accuses us. And tries to make us think that we are no longer belong to God, that God no longer wants us. But Jesus died for you and died for your sins. He loved you so much that he disregarded your sinful state and died for you anyway. So that means that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Your identity has changed now that you are in Christ. You're no longer what you did. You're no longer the labels that society labels you with. Your identity is transformed. And that's why we're going to deal with identity over this next month because some of you have no clue who you are. You have no clue the power and the authority that has been given to you as a son and a daughter of God. You have no clue what your royal heritage is in him. You have no clue the resources of heaven that are waiting to move behind you when you understand who you are and what you're called to do and who you're called to be. You have no clue who you are because we live in a world that has marred you. We live in a world that has put you in places that you should have never been in, done things to you that it never should have done to you. But we serve a God of restoration. We serve a God of healing. We serve a God who can erase the labels and erase the markings and erase the brokenness that the enemy has placed on people and give you a new identity in him. And this is the hour for the people of God to recognize who they are. And it's time for you to recognize who you are. Are. Jesus purchased your freedom from the cross so that you could run free and unencumbered. So here's my final airport lesson and then we're done. You can get through security without baggage, but you can't get through security without your ID. And some of us are so busy trying to carry all these bags and stuff that we've forgotten our ID. You've forgotten your identity. Bag lady... You're going to miss your bus. Dragging all them bags like that. I guess nobody ever told you that you are a child of God. You are a child of the king. You have an identity that has been marked and written in the book of life in heaven. You can get through security without your bag. You can always find a Walgreens and get another toothpaste, another deodorant, all the stuff you need. But if you ain't got no ID, you're not getting through that gate. But I'm so glad that I serve a God who has changed my name, changed my life, 
I'm now a part of a new government, a new kingdom. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords. I know my driver's license says the state of Connecticut, but I've got an eternal license that says the kingdom of heaven. And I've got an eternal citizenship. And I'm just a foreigner passing through this land according to the scripture. I'm only going to be here for a few years. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. Therefore, I'm not constrained by the ideas of the world. I can live separate and distinct, a nation within the nation. I'm part of a royal priesthood and a chosen generation. And as I learn who I am, I can reject the things that have held me bound. I can reject the weights. I can reject the sins. I can reject the enemy because I have a strong sense of my identity and I know who my my father is no need to call Maury there's no need for a DNA test I know who I am and I know who the father is there's no question about it because I'm made in his image and in his likeness and all I have to do is look at him and I see myself and that's why I have to go through so much pain so much difficulty because the fire is not meant to destroy you when you're a child of God it's meant to refine you the goldsmith finds a block of gold. That gold is filled with impurities. And they subject that gold to the fire. They have to bang on it. And the heat almost seems like it's consuming that gold. But it's not consuming it. It's removing the impurities. You want to know the mark of when that gold is ready? When that refiner, that goldsmith, can buff it and see his reflection in it, then he knows that the gold is ready. I'm here to remind you, people of God, if you are in Christ, you have an identity. Don't forget your ID. Caught up in carrying bags and stuff that you don't even need. I want some of you to embrace this picture illustration. You got to get radical with this thing this year. And you got to drop the bag. 